Dudes and dudettes, welcome back to The Anxious Truth, episode number 148. 148. Today we're going to talk about generalized anxiety disorder, GAD. Everybody wants me to talk about GAD. What's the difference if you have GAD? How is it different if you have GAD? Is your book good for GAD? I hear about GAD all the time. So it's important. We are going to talk about it. I'm not minimizing. It is important. We do need to talk about this. So we will today. We're going to talk about generalized anxiety disorder, GAD, GAD. I'm going to just call it GAD. We're talking about what it is, how it is similar to things like panic disorder or agoraphobia, how it is different, how there are extra wrinkles, and how the approach that I'm always talking about fits in with that. So we are going to talk all about that. Before we do, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask you to go check out the book that I wrote, which is also called The Anxious Truth, just like the podcast, a step-by-step guide to understanding and overcoming panic, anxiety, and agoraphobia. So if you would like more help than I can give you in a podcast or in my social media accounts, that would be a good option for you. You can find it on my website at theanxioustruth.com slash recovery guide. It's a giant 70,000 word monster that is laid out in a logical sequence like taking a course in how to recover from your anxiety disorder. So if you want to check it out, you can go ahead and do that. On the website, you can actually download all of chapter one for free as a PDF. And you can listen to all of chapter one as a free MP3. So go check that out if you want to do that. And if you have the book already, and you are digging it and using it and loving it, then write me a review on Amazon. That would be awesome. It would help out in a big way. So thank you guys. I appreciate you doing that. Okay, let's go. Generalized anxiety disorder. W- what is it? It's a diagnosis. It's a label like panic disorder, agoraphobia, hypochondriasis, OCD, and all of its subtypes, all of that stuff. It's a label, right? It's a diagnosis that a clinician will give you. And often, which was pointed out by a friend and and frequent collaborator, Josh Fletcher, it's sort of like the catch-all bin. If you're anxious and it doesn't fit into anything else, a lot of times they'll say, okay, you have generalized anxiety disorder. So it's kind of a catch-all. That is true. What does it mean? Well, I could tell you what people that are diagnosed with GAD or identify with GAD tell me all the time. And what that is, you're just constantly anxious. There's a constant simmering background anxiety all the time. There's often not panic attacks, or if they are, they're few and far between. But panic really isn't the big problem there. It's just a constant feeling of being agitated, a constant feeling of anxiety, a constant feeling like you're on the edge of possibly going toward panic. Something is wrong. All the symptoms are there. A lot of people have that twisted stomach all day long because of GAD, or they're just dealing with constant symptoms that are anxiety symptoms, and they know this. Most people with GAD will tell you that they are not afraid of their anxiety and that they're not avoiding things. So like whereas people with panic disorder or agoraphobics will avoid certain things, they might become housebound, they don't want to go to work, they don't want to drive, they don't want to be alone. People with GAD generally tend to just live their lives. So they will say, I'm not avoiding, I'm doing all the things. So I'm not avoiding, what's the problem here? But I'm just anxious all the time. They will tell me that they are not afraid of it, which I believe they are not. They hate it, (laughs) they will admit that, which is fine. I would understand why you would hate it. It's a very uncomfortable way to live. And they will also say, and this is going to be some of the secret sauce in this episode, I don't know why I'm anxious. I'm not afraid of the anxiety. I'm not avoiding driving. I I go out. I do all the things. So I don't know why I feel this way all the time, and I can't get rid of it. That's a key right there. I don't know why I feel this way. So let's talk about that. First of all, a couple of misconceptions. People who have diagnoses like panic disorder and agoraphobia or health anxiety, or almost all of these disorders that I talk about, do not live in a completely calm state between anxiety and panic attacks. That's not true. So a lot of times people with GAD will think, 
well, you panic people, like, I wish I would panic, and then it would be over. But for somebody that's dealing with panic attacks, recurring panic attacks, it's not just over. So there's anxiety between attacks. Also, it is different. That's true. But if you're listening, and you have generalized anxiety disorder, and you're wishing that you would just have panic attacks, don't wish so much because people who have panic attacks are also anxious between attacks, right? So just let's just clear that up. Because a lot of people I think are under that misconception. But with generalized anxiety disorder, there's two things at play that I really want to talk about here. One is that you do start to become not afraid of the anxiety in the same way that somebody with panic disorder really uh, sort of interprets their anxiety symptoms and the thoughts as dangerous. They, those people might think they're going to go insane, they're going to go crazy, lose control, they're going to die, they're going to have a stroke, a heart attack. We all know what that is. Whereas you probably don't have that exact fear like they do. That's also very common, but I'm not afraid of the anxiety. I just hate it. But in that case, all you want to do is get rid of it. So when you start to, when the anxiety itself starts to drive anxiety, you do have similarities with people who have panic disorder and agoraphobia. And I'll just keep using those as, as the comparisons. So you do have similarities, right? You, the, the fact that you're anxious drives more anxiety. So that is true. So in that way, you are similar to your anxiety disorder cousins that have these other labels or diagnoses. However, it's not the same in that, yes, you can apply a lot of the same principles. So that's true. You can learn not to try to make the symptoms go away. You can learn to not react to them. You can learn to not try to solve them and figure out. And those are important words, solve it and figure out. These are things we're going to talk about in a few minutes here. But so your approach is generally the same. And the fact that you're still out and doing things and not avoiding and living your life, totally fine. Totally fine. But how are you living your life? This is where the secret sauce is for you. So you might not be in, in avoidance mode, but you are likely in problem solving, overthinking, underlying sort of personality traits and behavioral and cognitive patterns. You're in those modes. And even though you're doing the things, you're doing the things while engaged in habits that generate anxiety. So that's where things start to differ. So yes, is the approach very similar? If you've got to the point where you are just now anxious because you are anxious, then yes, you have to learn to take a different, more non-reactive stance toward those feelings of anxiety, as opposed to, well, I'm just going to go to work, but I hate this. I don't understand it. Why is it happening? I can't get rid of it. I just, I can't put my finger on it. I hate this. I feel like I'm going to boil over. You're constantly focused back on yourself and how it feels and how it feels and how it feels and how it feels and why, 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 and why can't I get rid of it? You're going to have to get rid of that behavior. You have to start to break those cycles to a certain extent. That's part of it. That's part of it. Now, I understand the frustration because when you hear me talk to people that are dealing with panic attacks or agoraphobia, and over time, as they do that, things do get better. But over time for you, even though you may be working really hard to do that, things are not getting better, and that makes you even more frustrated. I don't understand what's going on here. Why can't I find my GAD switch and turn it off? Here's where we get into the important part about generalized anxiety disorder. The underlying, and when I talk about, I use this term a lot, GAD drivers. Let me clarify that. I mean the habits, the behavioral and cognitive habits and traits that drive anxiety, that create anxiety, that generate arousal, cognitive or physical arousal. That's what I mean. I don't mean drivers in a car, because I know we talk about driving and driving anxiety and driving exposures all the time. GAD drivers doesn't mean people driving a car. I mean the things that are actually generating those anxious feelings. 
And a lot of people that are suffering with generalized anxiety disorder are not even necessarily aware that they are engaged in these habits. So it's particularly insidious. But here are some of the things when I throw them out there and I say, hey, we got to look at the underlying drivers here. And people will say, Drew, you never want us to dig for the root cause. But I'm not talking about a root cause. I'm not talking about a traumatic event. And there may be. People with GAD have lived traumatic lives sometimes. I'm not discounting that. And as always, let me be very clear, if you have come from a traumatic or abusive background, you got to deal with that too, right? you got to deal with that too. I, I'm never discounting that. However, when I say, okay, GAD people, I'm going to throw out some things here, and you tell me which one of these you seem to relate to or identify with. Perfectionism, fear of failure, people-pleasing, problem solver, smartest guy in the room, uh, hyper responsibility. I have to handle everything. I have to be in charge. I have to know I need certainty. I'm an overthinker. I'm an over planner. People with GAD will start to jump up and down and wave their hands and say, oh yeah, but that may, that may, they will pick one or more of those things. They will pick one or more of those things. That may, but then they will continue to say, so I don't get it. Why am I anxious? Well, you know, if you're going to spend your entire day, every waking moment engaged in a problem solving process about life in general, always, 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 then that's kind of a problem. So the underlying traits of being a perfectionist, like let's, let's say perfectionism. Perfectionism is a really good one because it, it's the, the two that I see most often are perfectionism and a sense of hyper-responsibility. And I don't mean hyper-responsibility in like that OCD subtype. Similar, but just not to that extreme. So perfectionists, they always have to know. I have to know everything. I have to have it planned. I have to get it right. I have to get it right. I have to get it perfectly right. I cannot fail. I cannot fail. This must be right. Am I doing it right? And people who have a sense of hyper-responsibility, I'm in charge. I'm the fixer. I take care of things. I'm the one that takes care of things. They identify as fixers, problem solvers, caretakers, and somehow they elect themselves as responsible for that. I'm responsible for taking care of everything. That's what I do. That's who I am. So perfectionism is an achievement thing. Like, this is who I am. I'm the person that gets the projects done. I'm the person that gets it right. I'm the achiever. That's who I am. And often those people will wear those things as a badge of honor and an immutable part of who, the, who I am. This is my identity. This is who I am. I just, I'm a warrior. Now, warrior is, is another thing, W-O-R, not W-A-R. People who worry, excessively worry. People who worry know that their worry has gotten to the excessive part and they know that it's a problem, yet they think that worrying makes them a good person or is a substitute for love, or shows love, or proves that they care. So people like that tend to mix up worry and care. I did a whole episode, if you go to theanxioustruth.com slash worry, W-O-R-R-Y, one of the more popular episodes I've ever done, I, I spend 30 minutes talking about that. So being responsible for everything, because you've decided that you are, or you may have been taught that you are, sometimes you've been handed responsibilities that you didn't need to have, possibly by parents or things like that. That can happen. That's true. You can learn that lesson. Or thinking that you need to be perfect to, to maintain your self-image. I'm the person who gets it right. Or to, to, you know, to prove to yourself that you're worthy. Or I'm a worrier. Like I have to worry about everybody, I have to care, I have to ruminate, because that's how I know I'm a good person. If I'm not worried, if I don't worry all the time about my kids or my husband or my wife or my partner or my grandma, then or the world or injustices, 
then, then I'm not a good person. That's what good people do. We worry about these things, right? So those things become, you are essentially looking for problems everywhere to solve. You are in a constant scanning for threats. Now, we know that in the other disorders like panic disorder and agoraphobia, the problem is the threat response run amok, right? So you, you perceive a threat, but the threat isn't really there. And then ultimately, when it becomes maladaptive and, and disordered, the threat response itself becomes the threat. Well, for people with GAD and these underlying drivers, they're just constantly scanning for threats, constant scanning, constant. And it's at a very subtle level. And most people don't either know they're doing it, or they know they're doing it. And they just think, well, that's just who I am. So I don't know why I'm so anxious. But yes, I everything is a problem that needs to be solved. Well, you know, that can you start to see where this is headed now? So you're constantly scanning for threats, and then you find them. So if you're constantly looking for things to worry about, problems to solve, projects to do, things to learn and know, or things to worry about, so that you can prove to yourself in the world that you're a good person, you're going to find them. If you're, if you're going to look for problems, you're going to find them. But here's the issue. You are generally finding problems that are unsolvable and questions that are unanswerable. And there's a really good chance that thinking is your primary coping mechanism. So I will look for threats. And then when I find them, I will think in order to solve them. So I think that's what I do thinking. That's a meta belief about it's a belief about think a, a belief a thinking about your thinking, right? So the meta belief that thinking is the way to solve a problem. Like this is what I do. I think I think about things. I run simulations in my head, whatever I do. And if that is your primary coping strategy, you look for threats, whatever they may be emotional, mental, physical, you know, it doesn't matter what they are, financial threats, career threats, relationship threats, health threats, you look for them all the time, you find them, you try to know the unknowable, answer the unanswerable or solve the unsolvable. And you try to do it by thinking. And so when you find a threat, there's an arousal response. Because a threat response is real. We know this. That's not news. So if you find a threat, you're naturally going to have a little bit of anxiety arousal. Probably pretty low at first. You don't even notice it. And then you try to solve that by thinking. And you are trying to solve an unsolvable problem. Know the unknowable. Know the future. Predict. Plan everything. Control everything. But you can't. So now you have a problem that you found that you think you can solve by thinking. And then you can't. It becomes an unsolvable problem. Now the arousal level goes up. Now I have a problem that's a bigger problem because I can't find a solution to this. I can't control everything. I can't worry about everything. Worrying isn't changing anything, but I keep doing it anyway. Planning has its limits. I can't plan everything. I can't control everything. I can't get everything right all the time. I cannot fix every problem, right? So it becomes unsolvable. Now your anxiety level rises a little bit more. And since your primary mechanism for problem solving is to think what happens? Well, now I have a bigger problem I, that I, I have to solve this bigger problem. Now I have a problem that I have a problem about a problem. How do I solve problems? I think, go back to step one, start thinking again, but that doesn't work. And boom, the fire is lit and it burns. And the fire is the anxiety. That's the fire. That's it. I have a problem, an unsolvable problem, and I'm trying to solve it over and over and over. Not only do I have one unsolvable problem, I have about a 1000. Right? I got 99 problems. <laughs> thinking is all of them. That would be the new song. Um, I have 99 problems and thinking is all of them. So in the end, that is what starts to drive generalized anxiety disorder. 
And I've had some super smart people who taught me this stuff. Like, this is not necessarily a mystery. Now, I, I can listen, I can't claim that I'm, I can describe every single human being that has the label generalized anxiety disorder. But it's important to understand that when you decide, well, I'm just anxious all the time, I don't fear it. Well, you kind of do, because in, in a way, your fear just expresses as I need to get rid of this. I don't think it's going to put me in the hospital, but I hate it. And it's ruining my life. And if I wake up tomorrow anxious again, I'm going to lose my shit. Well, that's fear. You're anticipating it before it ever happens. You're creating more of it. So now you have two fires burning, or really two sources of, of fuel for one fire. You have the thinking fire, and now you have the, I'm afraid of the results, or I, or I hate the results of all this thinking. You light a fire, and then you hate that there's a fire lit, so you pour more gas on the fire to put it out. You keep thinking, that's fuel for the fire, and then you hate the result. You hate the resulting fire. And hating the resulting fire and wishing it away is more fuel for the fire. So it's a particularly insidious process, especially when you just feel that this is the way you are. I am a warrior. I'm a ruminator. I'm an overthinker. And especially, especially if you wear those labels as a badge of honor or an achievement of some kind. Yep, that's me. I'm an overthinker. Well, most people that are overthinkers really don't want to be. But somehow they become identified as overthinkers or warriors. Yeah, I'm a warrior. I'm just a big worry wart. I worry about everybody. Okay, but you don't have to do that. And it's actually causing your problem. Or it's at least contributing to this problem. You have to recognize that underlying pattern, that gad driver. I keep using the phrase gad driver. So what do we do about this? Right? We got two things. You're similar to your anxiety disorder cousins in the fact that you have to start to really modify the way you react to the anxiety itself. And you may already be working on this. If you're listening to this podcast, I think there's a really good chance you're now beating your head against the wall and saying, hey, Drew, I've been doing this now for a year, six months. I'm listening to you. I read, I read your book and nothing's changing. So I'm already doing that. That's good. But the second thing you got to do is really look at those underlying traits. Are you a card-carrying perfectionist? Are you a proud, worrying mom? You know, are you a, a caretaker? Are you a people pleaser? Are you the person that is responsible for everything? If I don't do it, who's going to do it? I got to do it. Only I can do it the right way. You got to really start to be honest with yourself and say, oh yeah, I am those things. Now look, everybody has some component of all of those things in their personality. We all do to a certain extent. We all have our quirks. We have our, our traits. That's true. But for people that wind up in the gad fire, if you will, those traits and those habits and those propensities to act and think in certain ways just become elevated to a much higher degree. So we all have our quirks, right? This is not black and white, like, oh, you're broken because you worry. That's not true. Just you, you have elevated worry to a whole new level compared to the rest of us. That's all that means. Well, you can fix that. You can change that, right? That stuff is changeable. So you have to work on changing your reaction to the anxiety itself, which you're probably already doing. Or if you're not, then this is where like the nuts and bolts that I talk about all the time come into play. Learning to relax into it, learning to try and put your brain into idle. Now for a gad person, that's really hard. That's the learning to focus on your breath, to breathe properly, to ragdoll, to, to selectively put your focus in other places. So when somebody is experiencing a panic attack in the frozen food section of the supermarket because they're in agoraphobic out doing an exposure exercise, well, we're selectively putting our focus away from the panic symptoms. Your job is to selectively move your focus away from two things. So your job is a little harder. I will admit that. 
got to move it away from the physical sensations that you're just wishing away so hard. Just let it be there. If your stomach is in a knot, then it, it's in a knot. That's the way it's going to have to be for right this minute. You can tolerate that. In fact, you have for a very long time. It's never, it's never really been an impediment to you. In fact, you proudly tell me that you just love your life anyway. So you have to focus away from those symptoms. That's true. Just let them be there without trying to solve them. Solve, solve, solve. But the other thing you got to focus away from is the thinking process itself, right? So you really have to start to think about the process of the way you think. So that's why we call it, you know, metacognition. It's, a, it's kind of a big deal because you're thinking about, you have to start to think about the way you think, beliefs about the way I think. I must think to solve problems. That's a meta belief. Thinking is an effective way to solve problems. That's a meta belief. Then it flips. What this thinking isn't solving the problem. So you have positive and negative meta beliefs about your own cognition, right? So I believe that it's my primary tool and I need it. I believe it solves problems, but then I see that it doesn't. And then the fourth one that is a big one is, but I have no control over this. So I have to think more and I have no control over that. So those beliefs about the way you think, the way you think about thinking, you have to start to change. And we do that by, by moving our attention away. So instead of sitting here, you know, and actually just running through 8 zillion different scenarios where one of my kids gets in a car accident, for instance, or I make a mistake at my job, and I lose a client or I get fired, instead of going over that for the 10,000th time, I'm going to make lunch now, which I always use these ridiculous examples, but that's kind of part of it. I'm going to read this book now. I'm going to relax my body, I'm going to breathe, and I'm going to go here and engage in this activity. So it's sort of a gentle reassignment of your focus. And at first, that's going to be really hard, and you're going to suck at it. Just the same way that the person with panic disorder really sucks at trying to focus away from the fact that their heart is being 180 beats per minute. Like that ain't easy. So I'm always going to acknowledge that. What I'm telling you here is not easy work at all. But it's okay for it to be hard work, you can do hard work. So you have to recognize where you can break that thinking cycle, how can I change? How can I change my beliefs about what thinking does for me? Well, you have to change you change the beliefs by acting. So instead of worrying or, or planning, I've planned the family vacation, we have our flights, we have this, we have that we're done, I got nothing else to think about. I can't do anymore. So thinking more about the family vacation is not really going to help me. Right. If I, I've already taken care of, you know, the kids as best I can right now, they're in bed. There's nothing more that I can do. So declaring myself responsible for everything because no one else can do it as good as I can. And I want to think more about what I'm going to do tomorrow or what I did today, analyze it that I do it right. Oh, that's right. I'm in the thinking cycle. So I'm going to have to drop that. I'm going to have to paint a picture, do some paint by numbers, a puzzle. I'm going to watch a movie and your attention will be drawn back drawn back to the thinking and the worrying and the planning and the obsessing, it will be drawn back to that over and over and over. You just have to keep moving it back to the puzzle or whatever it is you're working on, taking your walk, listening to your music, whatever, being in a conversation with your partner or a friend or eating your dinner or cooking your dinner, whatever it is. And what over time, first of all, that's incredibly uncomfortable. Because especially if you're dealing with things like, you know, hyper responsibility, you're the caretaker. If I don't think about this, everything's going to fall apart. Well, you kind of have to let everything fall apart then. Go ahead, let it. And then you'll start to see that it doesn't. And even when things do change and pop up, you're capable of handling them in the moment. You can make an action plan, you could have that plan ready. And then if you need it, you execute your plan. It doesn't require 24 seven cognition about that plan, or worrying about if something comes up, 
right? So it's going to feel really uncomfortable to stop thinking because to you, thinking is protection. Thinking is safety. Thinking gets you certainty, but it never does. So you have to keep thinking. Then you get crazy because you can't find certainty in your thoughts, right? You're, you're trying to answer. On, it always comes back to, I'm trying to know the unknowable, name, a lot of times the future. I'm going to try to answer the unanswerable. I'm going to try to solve the unsolvable. And really, it's not about those, those solving or the knowing or the certainty itself. It's about the belief that you can actually do that. That's the problem. So that's why we're not worried about this, the particular thing that you're thinking about. The thing you're thinking about isn't it. Stop thinking about that. It's a silly thing to think about. It may very well be. That's true. But it's not the thing itself. It's your style of thinking overall. So you're not targeting the individual worries. Well, I'm very worried that one of my kids will get in a car accident. Okay, that's, you know, that's a legitimate worry to a certain extent. Nobody wants that to happen. But it becomes an excessive worry, right? Excessive worry when you take it to the nth degree. And then you have to realize, oh, wait, I don't necessarily have to solve the problem of worrying about the car accident. I have to solve the problem of the way I think, right? So when I want to sit and just wring my hands and, and check, you know, let me check my phone and see where she is now. She, you know, you make your kids share the locations on their phone so you can see. Is it moving? Is she still on the highway? Is everything? Instead of doing that, you're going to have to move your attention somewhere else. That will feel uncomfortable. It will feel unnatural. It will feel vulnerable. It will feel irresponsible and reckless. It will feel all of those things. But over time, when you discover that whether I worried about it or not, you know, my daughter Sally, whoever, made it to her location. Or heaven forbid she is in a car accident. You know, I, me not worrying about it didn't save, change that or not. Now I have to deal with that when it happens, right? So trying to find safety, certainty, right? Firm ground, like assurance in your thoughts is a never-ending battle that in the end fuels that anxious response in your body. And then that fire just burns because if that's what you're going to do all day long, what do you think the response is going to be? You're going to be anxious. Then you discover you can't get rid of it. Now you hate these sensations and you hate the way you feel and you hate the way you're thinking. And then you add more fuel in the fire by hating it and trying to find a switch. But meanwhile, the switch is right in your head. Part of it is the switch that turned it on is that idea that I can think about fixing everything. Fix it, fix it, solve it. So that's how GAD is similar to, to the related, you know, the, the other anxiety disorders. Like they're similar to it, but in, in the approach where you have to learn how to change your reaction to the anxiety feelings itself, but it's also different because you have a wrinkle there. You have an underlying, you have, you have drivers. So you could keep learning to try and put out the symptom fire and the feeling fire. I'm going to meditate, I'm going to relax, I'm going to do yoga, I'm going to take pills, whatever it is. But you keep the fire burning every single day in the way that you live. And I don't want you to hear that as me telling you, well, your anxiety is your fault. You're not choosing to do that. Nobody chose to do this. You just got into some bad thinking habits for a variety of reasons, some of which may have been conditioned in your childhood. That's true. Your experiences, all of those things. We, we incorporate all of those things into our thinking style. The, the lessons we learned as children from our parents and important people in our lives and teachers and authority figures. We learn those lessons by making mistakes and being punished or doing things right and not being rewarded, right? Or having people just hand us responsibilities that should have never been handed to us. So we can learn those things. Those things may not are not your fault. You didn't just decide to do that. But sometimes we take on these things and we build these thinking styles 
And somehow we are confused into thinking that, oh, no, this is good. Worrying all the time means I'm a good person. Being a perfectionist is a good thing. Like, look at me. I'm a perfectionist, man. I got to get it right. There was once upon a time a person in my Facebook group, I don't know if she's there anymore. You know, of course, we'd never say the name, but, you know, who, who insisted that, like, hey, you know what? This stuff is never going to work for me. You know why? Because I'm just a super fast thinker, man. Like, I just think faster than everybody else. That's just the way my brain works. Like, oh, okay. And that was clearly a boast, like, for her. I, that was a boast. I just, I'm, I think faster than everybody else. So, I, I can't do this. What am I supposed to do? Like, slow down for the rest of you? Oh, okay. <laughs> and, but, you know, months later, coming back around to conversation that said, yeah, I mean, this whole fast thinker thing is kind of hurting me. Um, and so, she ultimately did come around to understanding, like, you know, now how do I change it? it? That's a struggle, of course, for her. Like, it's changing those thinking styles is really difficult for everybody. It's not easy. It's a hard work. But when she came to the realization to change things, I had another person, a lovely person in the group who, same thing, I don't understand why I'm anxious, I don't understand why I'm anxious, and then made the statement, which was a light bulb statement for her, like, not only am I worried about going to the movies with my husband, but I am also worried about where we're going to park the car at the movies four hours before we even walk out the door. Oh, and then she had that, like, oh, that's what you mean, like, yes. You are spending a tremendous amount of mental and emotional energy worrying and planning this trip to the movies that most people don't think about until they actually get to the movies. So let's acknowledge for a second that there are positive parts of being thorough. There's nothing wrong with being a thorough person, being detail-oriented. Some people are detail-oriented. Some people are not. I'm not a big detail guy. I'm a big picture guy more than anything else. And so, therefore, I need people in my life that are detail-oriented. And the detail-oriented people need people like me. So we all work together. It makes things great, right? So there are good things about all of these traits. But like anything else, anxiety is a normal part of being human until it gets disordered and distorted and twisted, and then it's a problem. So being detail-oriented, being good at your job, uh, whatever, liking to learn, being a good learner, being a kind person – all good things until it gets magnified and twisted and disordered. And then it's a problem, like anything else. A slice of pizza is a beautiful thing. 16 slices of pizza a week is a problem. The same rule applies here, right? So that is the deal. And we're, we're 30 minutes into it. I hope, I mean, look, we're talking about this more. I'm going to talk about some health anxiety stuff too, because it's very similar. So for those of you who have asked the question, how does this apply to GAD? What is this, you know, does this work for GAD? Yeah, it does. But you also are going to have to really look at these underlying, you know, thinking habits and behavioral habits and personality traits, all of which are changeable. I'm not telling you you can become a brand new, different person. We don't want you to. Like, it's good to be you. But the things that are problematic can be worked on. People who have anger issues, we accept that. You can go to anger management class and, and learn new ways to deal with anger, Right. So same thing goes true with this. You can learn new ways to think. It ain't easy, but you can do it. So that's how it's the same, and that's how there's an additional thing. you got to learn how to deal with your anxiety symptoms a little bit better than trying to solve them and make them go away and get away from them. That's true. So acceptance and all of those things is all part of it. It all comes back to that in the end. But you also have to accept the errors in your thinking, or at least the, the less than optimal styles that you use in thinking and problem solving and bringing on problems. And you got to start to work to gently change your focus away from that problem solving and knowing and, and worrying and ruminating thing to other places and learn that you can tolerate that discomfort. You'll feel uncomfortable for a little while, but then nothing bad happens. 
or you handle everything that does come up, even though you didn't think about it for 72 hours ahead of time. That's how you learn that, oh, I didn't have to do that. Okay, I don't have to do that. And trust me, I know people that have been gripped with GAD for years. And a couple of months down the road, when they start to understand this, and we talk about it, and then, oh, yeah, hey, I feel a lot better now. Not great. I'm still not perfect. But it is definitely getting better. I'm seeing this. I'm cha making changes, and it's working. So I promise you that there are ways out of this, you just have to start to look at these underlying things. Also, you cannot just do exposure for GAD. I mean, yeah, and GAD, your exposure is I'm gonna do a crossword puzzle, instead of checking my work report for the 77th time before I hand it in. That's your exposure. That's your exposure to being uncomfortable, unsure, vulnerable, reckless, irresponsible, and then everything winds up okay. Anyway, you discover like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. I could do that again. So to give you just one quick example, before I end it for somebody that's dealing with say, like the sense that they are responsible for everything and must take care of everything, an assignment that I might give them would be, I want you to take at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning, when the world expects you to be working, I want you to take 15 minutes, turn off your phone and do nothing but read your favorite book, or listen to your favorite, you know, your favorite music for 15 minutes, just for you for no other reason in the entire universe, then it's pleasurable to you. And for that person, that is a hard ask. But then I'm not solving problems. I'm not getting stuff done. I'm not taking care of things. I'm not taking care of people. I'm not, you know, I'm not knowing. I'm not, I'm, no, you're not. Right now, you're just reading or listening to music for fun for 15 minutes. So irresponsible, right? That would be a typical thing that somebody with GAD would tell. That would be an assignment I would give somebody that's dealing with GAD and trying to break those habits. So there you go, 33 minutes on generalized anxiety disorder, its underlying drivers and how it is the same as panic disorder and agoraphobia and other anxiety disorders and how it is different, right? So hopefully that has been helpful. Um, as usual, Afterglow by my buddy Ben Drake, who you can find at bendrakemusic.com, shiny new website, go check it out. And if you're listening to, by the way, the best way, I got to say this, and I say this once in a while, I understand that a lot of you guys want to message me and you want to be in a conversation with me. I would love to talk to all of you. I just can't. I can't. So I cannot answer private messages. Zillions of them that I get, I appreciate it. But if you want to try and interact with me, comment on an Instagram post or join my Facebook group. I am active in that group. You will see me there. You can ask a question. There's a good chance that at least if I see it or one of my admin team will see it and tag me in or they'll answer it. That's a good way to get these questions answered, right? So I had to mention that. And as always, if you're listening to the podcast on iTunes or some platform that lets you rate and review it, then give me a five star rating because you dig the podcast because you're listening to it. And then take a second to review it because if you're getting help from it, then that helps other people get help from it too. And really, that's why I'm doing this. Okay, peeps, thanks for coming by. I appreciate your attention. As always, I'll see you next week in the next episode. And I will remind you as I have gotten in the habit of doing that this is the way. You're doing fine Now in the city And you're living fast No looking back Or dwelling on the past You know you'll never get Another chance So go and live your life